I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Job chapters 21 through 23. In Job chapter 20, we find that Zophar gave a very long, insulting speech. And now in chapter 21, Job is going to make a reply to that, beginning now with verse 1. But Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech, and let this be your consolations. Suffer me that I may speak, and after that I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint to man? If it were so, why should not my spirit be troubled? Mark me, and be astonished, and lay your hand upon your mouth. Even when I remember I am afraid, and trembling taketh hold on my flesh. Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power? Their seed is established in their sight with them, and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth, and faileth not, their cow calveth, and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones, like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp, and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? Lo, their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How oft is the candle of the wicked put out, and how oft cometh their destruction upon them? God distributeth sorrows in his anger. They are as stubble before the wind, and as chafe that the storm carrieth away. God layeth up his iniquity for his children. He rewardeth him, and he shall know it. His eyes shall see his destruction, and he shall drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what pleasure hath he in his house after him, when the number of his months is cut off in the midst? Shall any teach God knowledge, seeing he judgeth those that are high? One dieth in his full strength, being holy at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, and his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dieth in the bitterness of his soul, and never eateth with pleasure. They shall lie down alike in the dust, and the worms shall cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts, and the devices which ye wrongfully imagine against me. For ye say, Where is the house of the prince, and where are the dwelling places of the wicked? Have ye not asked them that go by the way, and do ye not know their tokens? That the wicked is reserved unto the day of destruction, they shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Who shall declare his way to his face, and who shall repay him what he hath done? Yet shall he be brought to the grave, and shall remain in the tomb. The claws of the valley shall be sweet unto him, and every man shall draw after him, as there are innumerable before him. How then comfort ye me in vain? seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehood. It would appear from Job's comments that his audience must not be paying very much attention. Well, maybe they're busy writing their own rebuttals. He seems to be referring to their inattentiveness in verses 1 through 3. Job's so-called friends had spent considerable time in the last round outlining the fate of the wicked. 
Eliphaz did so in Job chapter 15, verses 20 to 35, and Bildad did so in Job 18, 5 through 21. Now here's Job's claim in this passage. He says, the wicked do in fact prosper, often prosper. Job makes his point about the wicked. In fact, Job points out that those who flatly reject God's ways, even regarding prayer as a useless exercise, seem to do well in all aspects of their lives anyway. He makes that point in verses 14 and 15. And not only do they not die prematurely, as Zophar had indicated in Job chapter 20, verse 11, they do in fact live long and even increase in strength, verse 7. Bildad's notion that the wicked have no offspring to remember them in Job chapter 18, verses 19 to 21, well, that's rejected by Job here in verse 8. In verses 7 through 13, Job illustrates the enjoyment of life and prosperity often experienced by godless people who dare to completely defy God. He makes that point in verse 15. Job seems to struggle with this concept in the next few verses. Why are they not punished right now, he wonders. Perhaps their children are held accountable for their wickedness. Well, not. From Job's perspective, they simply get away with it. His current argument does not seem to include the notion that the overly wicked are punished in an afterlife. Since we have seen Job's intense belief in a Redeemer previously, in Job chapter 19, Job must have felt that these wicked folks really do get their just due after death. He's just not in the mood to acknowledge that fact right now. Beginning in verse 27, Job anticipates the replies of his friends to these assertions. Job seems to solicit more verbal abuse in verse 34. Well, he'll get his wish. Let's make an application here. I've written an article entitled, Trial versus Chastisement, that's under the topic section. Here's what we know about the subject of trial and chastisement in the New Testament believer's life. Since God is our Father, He's in control of everything that takes place in our lives. The rule of chastisement from God scripturally asserts that rebelling believers will not prosper. God chastens them. However, those who have defied God in the very act of receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, well, they aren't the children of God at all. Therefore, just as Job observes, these people may very well seem to prosper in this life. What Job does not point out here is that those God-rejecting people will end up in the lake of fire. We see that clearly in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Why? Because God is not their father. In chapter 22, Eliphaz takes some cheap shots at Job in his speech. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous, or is it gain to him that thou makest thy ways perfect? Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter with thee into judgment? Is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? For thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught, and stripped the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink, and thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. But as for the mighty man, he had the earth, and the honorable man dwelt in it. Thou hast sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Therefore snares are round about thee, and sudden fear troubleth thee. Or darkness that thou canst not see, and abundance of waters cover thee. 
Is not God in the height of heaven? And behold, the height of the stars, how high are they? And thou sayest, how doth God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? Thick clouds are a covering to him, and he seeth not, and he walketh in the circuit of heaven. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with the flood, which said unto God, Depart from us, and what can Almighty do for them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it, they're glad, and the innocent laugh them to scorn. Whereas our substance is not cut down, but the remnant of them the fire consumeth. Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then shalt thou say, There is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. He shall deliver the island of the innocent, and it is delivered by the pureness of thine hands. Eliphaz says in chapter 22, verse 5, Is not thy wickedness great, and thy iniquities infinite? Well, that sort of sets the stage for the comments of Eliphaz regarding Job in this chapter. He takes some very cheap shots at Job in verses 6 through 9, even accuses him of abuse and neglect of his fellow man. He doesn't know these accusations to be necessarily true, but he's looking for some type of wickedness to pin on Job. And this will do. Eliphaz's tone had been more positive and sympathetic than the others previously in Job chapters 4 and 5 and Job chapter 15. But here he seems to turn a little bit, well, vicious. So then he spends the balance of his monologue challenging Job to turn to God through repentance. Take a look at verse 23. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. It's the conclusion of Eliphaz that Job is absolutely guilty of wickedness and needs to, as he says, return to the Almighty. Many people, as they read the book of Job, make the same recommendations as Job's friends. Since we all have some area in our Christian living that needs some improvement, why not just confess that, ask for forgiveness, and gain restoration? I know that seems to make sense, but let's go back to Job chapter 1 for some perspective here. God himself described Job to Satan by saying, There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Now, based upon that, an admission to guilt where no guilt exists, what would that be? An attempt to fool God? The book of Job shows us that conventional wisdom about God's nature failed. It miserably failed. No one, including Job himself, can cite a substantive example of sin in Job's life or character. And that's why Job did not feel it would be appropriate to confess sin that simply did not exist. Let's talk a moment about scripture abuse. 
Many Christians quote scripture way out of context and think nothing of it. I've often heard people quote Job chapter 22 verse 28 as a promise for believers. Here's what that verse says. Thou shalt also decree a thing and it shall be established unto thee and the light shall shine upon thy ways. It's one of those name it and claim it verses that goes with the prosperity giving message that is often taught by preachers and teachers trying to bolster the financial giving of their audience. In fact, this verse does say, in essence, declare it, and it will happen just as you claim it. But here's the catch to this verse. Eliphaz is the one who said it, and he was wrong about nearly everything he said. In fact, he lacked a knowledge of the very nature of God. He and his friends were actually rebuked by God himself for their bad counsel when it gets down to chapter 42, verses 7 through 9. So when Christians quote scripture out of context, as they do in this verse so many times, one might very well come away with a very skewed impression of the nature of God. Now we find that Job's two-chapter reply begins in chapter 23, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous man dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore am I troubled at his presence, when I consider I am afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me, because I was not cut off before the darkness, neither hath he covered the darkness from my face." Well, we see here that Job still longs for the opportunity to make his case before God for his righteousness. We see that in verses 4 and 5. You'll notice that Job never doubts God. He just wants an understanding of what all this means. As far as defending his personal righteousness before God, look at what Job says in verses 11 and 12. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept, and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, I'm not sure how exactly Job and his generation derived the commandments of God, but we'll see in Job chapter 38 that God literally speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. It very well could be that God's law had been revealed through these kinds of supernatural activities, these manifestations prior to this time. One thing is certain, Job acknowledges knowing and adhering to God's commandments. This monologue by Job continues in Job chapter 24. We'll be looking at that passage in tomorrow's reading. 
This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker. 